The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop studying for the Starfleet midterms and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 218 with guest Dare Abasanjo, recorded live Tuesday, February 13th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now bringing the just-in-time team system class with Joel Semeniuk on-site for your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man whose mom's VCR is still flashing midnight, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's a pleasure being here with you for the second time this week. Hey, Richard Campbell. Yes, sir. How are you? Good. Welcome to the Thursday show. I love the Thursday show because uh, earlier this week I was down at Microsoft. You were. I were. I were. I was. What were you doing down there? I was at their Tech Fest, which is something they've never done before. It was. The Could first we sound time any more phony? Come on. <laughs> we we're just like too good at this, man. You were a Microsoft. <laughs> Microsoft. Well, do tell. No kidding. <laughs> God. Really. <laughs> So Microsoft Research opened their doors for the first time ever huh. to the public. Now, it wasn't really the public. We were, quote, influencers. Right. But the doors were open. And admittedly, not open very wide. Yeah. They, they showed a few things. They had a little booth area, a bunch of little booths there. A lot there, of and stuff actually you can't had, talk about. Well, no, it was public. That was the whole thing is they, huh. they put it out on the news and so on. So apparently every year... Microsoft does this Microsoft research thing, but it's all internal. Only other Microsoft people go to it. Hmm. And this year they had a one day, which was on Tuesday, where they allowed some influences and so forth to see some things. So apparently there's more, but we're not allowed to see that unless we work for Microsoft. Ah. And what was fascinating about this was the researchers themselves were manning the booths, not a marketing person in sight. Huh. So we really had a great time. Uh, I was with uh, our friend Tim Huckabee. Yeah. And Rocky Latka. Well, are you going to talk about, can you talk about what you saw? Absolutely, I could talk so about what, what was it. I, I saw so many things, you, you wouldn't believe it. So they showed a, uh, a whiteboard 
communication system where they had a camera aimed at the whiteboard. And as you drew on the whiteboard, it repeated it on another screen elsewhere and vice versa. When they drew on the whiteboard, it came back. Well, now, aren't there such thing as smart boards already? Don't they already do that? Yeah, they are, but they're really expensive. This is a very inexpensive software-based solution. Huh. So that what they're showing is you can make this much simpler. Oh, okay. So that was very clever. They even showed you could play chess that way, <laughs> same sort of system, and, and tic-tac-toe. It was ridiculous. Uh, the Wii is still cooler than anything they can come up with. <laughs> uh, they were doing really interesting stuff with... Uh, Heart rate monitors, accelerometers, GPS, and cell phones so that people jogging would have a detailed record of their run, huh? which is not that particularly innovative. You know, Tim's done stuff similar to that before. Right. The really bizarre part or clever part was they created a sort of social interaction piece around it. So you took this record of your run and and it knew how hard you worked on it, and you share it with everybody else that does runs so that you can sort of compare runs. And that way, based on how much physical fitness you have, it could suggest other runs for you hmm. that were of comparable difficulty. And then you imagine that across multiple cities. So it's like, hey, I'm going to Seattle and I want to do some biking. And based on the biking I've already done, it'll make suggestions for comparable difficulty biking. Yeah. I thought it was very clever. That is interesting. You know, I, th- I always thought the GPS of like your run or your bike was neat. You know, so in case you forgot where you went or where, <laughs> where you were, well... It, it, Tim's always been about that. He wants con- he wants a continuous stream of where he is at any given moment. But I think that's mostly to do with his wife. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds cool. I, you know, I couldn't go just from scheduling and whatever. But I I was invited, but I couldn't go. We'll talk some more about that at the MVP Summit where we are next week. Actually, um, uh, a couple of announcements before we get to some email. The New York tour is still a hot commodity. Uh, Greg Brill's Infusion New York City Tour offer, which you can read about at shrinkster.com slash kh6. The gist of it is, if you want to work in Manhattan for a really progressive and fun company, uh, Nick Landry works there, uh, Infusion, you can go to Manhattan, they'll move you there, they'll give you a free apartment for a year, they just want some really good people down there, some .NET people, shrinkster.com slash kh6. Also, there's a gig in Washington, D.C. for ASP.NET Gurus. Uh, I talked about it in depth in last week's show. I haven't yet blogged about it with all the details, but I will. It's in Washington, D.C., basically ASP.NET. Um, you know, you have to have, or you have to be an ASP.NET god, but it's a competitive salary. You get benefits and equity. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in that, email us at .nerocks.franklins.net. And speaking of email, we got an email from Bill Tudor. It just came in just before we, uh, when sat down to record this intro, he says, did I hear correctly? Christmas in March? Two shows per week. I think I'll run out and buy a bunch of Telerik RAD controls. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe even send a resume to Greg, Bill, Greg Brill at Infusion Development. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to that last episode of .NET Rocks one more time just to be sure. Keep up the good work. P.S. I have only about one more hour of commute time per week to fill up. Two Hansel minutes? <laughs> Your quality is top-notch in both content and presentation. Thanks for every show so far, Bill. That was fun. 
That's true. And hey, it's Thursday and there's a new show, so it must be true. So, you know, like the ultimate experience is listening to .NET Rocks just after it comes out, sipping on some coffee within your .NET Rocks mug, ordering up some Telerik RID controls and emailing your resume to Greg Brill, man. You're just like... <laughs> You're out of control. You're out of control. Living the life. Okay, what you got something over there? I do have an interesting one. And, and in a previous show, I believe it was Paul Randall's show, 217. Last show. We, we mentioned this uh, website yeah. about the uh, top 10 most influential people in the Microsoft.net world. Right. And it was published by a fellow by the name of Johan Lee. Well, lo and behold, I found an email from December yeah. where he mailed us and said, Dear Carl and Richard... I am a longtime listener of your show, and I wanted to thank you guys for bringing enthusiasm and excitement to the .NET community. My fiancé and fellow tech geek even finds it funny when she catches me humming along with the Toy Boy song. Uh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very uh, viral, isn't it? Uh, My favorite shows include Michelle LaRue Bustamante. What an awesome name. Yep. Hui Hong Lao. Roy Osharov and the Tech Ed Europe Agile Panel. That was awesome. Roy did such a good job singing an Agile rendition of Kesara. I just have to show it to my friends. That was great. He was On good. On a side note, any thoughts of having him join your band? Well, since he lives in Israel, that'd be kind of tough. <laughs> <laughs> and last time I looked, the real-time collaboration software uh, wasn't happening. You know, between Israel and Connecticut. Not not working not, all that not well. Not work all that well. And you've tried some of this. And so then he goes on to reference this. Uh, in any case, on my suggestion, have you not seen this top 10.net people on the internet? And then he goes on to reference his website with his top 10.net people. And, and we talked about that in the previous show at shrinkster.com slash ML5. Right. And mentioned that we came in as a pair. Apparently, we're connected at number five. And he suggests that perhaps we could do an online poll to vote for your top .NET people. That's a great idea. I mean, I think it's kind of a cool idea. You know, we're I I don't look at us as sort of like .NET gurus as much as we are enablers. You know, we just sort of find the people and talk to them and let them. We're the drug dealers of the .NET world. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't we don't really make the content. We just sort of enable it. You know. That's right. Yeah. So, an interesting idea, and we are going to be doing some more stuff with the website as far as it's concerned. I think we should do this. Yeah. It's not Let a bad idea. put in their names. All the best of future shows, Johan Lee. Very good, Johan. And sorry it took us so long to get to that. He did ask for a DNR swag, so let's see if we can arrange that for him, too. One mug coming up. <laughs> All right, Richard, let's get to our guest, shall we? This is uh, going to be a great show because Dare Abasanjo is here. And uh, he's a program manager on the Windows Live Communication Services platform team. He brings his love of solving problems with XML to building the server infrastructure utilized by the Windows Live Messenger, Windows Live Hotmail, and Windows Live Spaces teams. Before that, he was a member of Microsoft's web data team, uh, which, among other things, develops the components within the system.xml and system.data namespace of the .NET framework. He's also the author of RSS Bandit, an open-source RSS reader written in C-sharp. Yeah, please welcome Dare Obasanjo. Hi, Dare. Hey. Hey. 
Now, I uh, I poked into Wikipedia and found your entry there, and I think what you left off your bio is you're the son of the president of Nigeria? Yeah, that's my dad. Wow. That is really cool. That also yeah. leads to some terrible jokes. Well, I mean, yeah, because the only thing I know about Nigeria is that's where all that spam comes from. Yes, yes. Uh, every once in a while, somebody at work forwards me some spam and says, hey, can, can you send, ask your dad to do something about this? <laughs> Oh wow! So are are you from Nigeria, or did was that role, or is he from Nigeria? What's the geographical? Yeah, yeah I'm uh, I'm originally Nigerian. I uh, I spent I guess my first seventeen, nineteen, I can't even remember anymore. I spent my teenage years there, and I came, I moved over here to go to college about ten years ago. Yeah, so that would make it seventeen. I see. Um, does Dad want you to get into politics like him, or is he happy that you're out of it? Oh, uh, I don't know, but he definitely doesn't understand why I work at Microsoft, because hmm. I should go back to school and finish my education. Oh, okay. Do yeah. something real, huh? Yeah. So, like, this goofing around at Microsoft messing with computers doesn't seem like a real, <clears throat> a real living. And it's not just messing with computers. I mean, system XML, system data, these are fundamental namespaces. Just, I don't know of anyone who doesn't work with them in .NET. So... Well, way to go. What uh, what all did you do on um, on pick one of those namespaces? So I primarily worked with uh, worked on stuff in some XML. For a while, I was a PM for all the XML schema related technologies. So uh, schema XML schema validation, um, the schema object model. I was a PM for the changes for the XPath Navigator wow. uh, and the DOM for about two, two years. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. And then um, I worked on the Extreme XML column on MSDN. Mm-hmm. And I got the, I, I also was the, I, I got the XML, the an MVP category created for XML. So I was the <laughs> MVP liaison for, for, for a while as well. Don XML is very happy for that, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> You've done some serious work on the XML side of things. Yeah. And and a lot of people, I, I get the sense a lot of people don't take XML all that seriously, but, you know, the capabilities are pretty insignificant. Uh, and, of course, the other thing is RSS Bandit, which, by all accounts, you just rattled off on a whim. Yeah, because uh, I think I had heard once that it was really easy to build a GUI app that embeds Internet Explorer and C Sharp. So I was like, that's cool. I've never written a, a GUI app before. How hard could it be? And at the time, I was doing the Extreme, the extreme XML column, and I kept looking for like idea, ways to show, here's how you do some stuff with XML, here's how you do, do XSLT scan validation, messing around with the DOM, without it just being a, a plain, boring old code sample. And I saw RSS, and I was like, hey, here's a great example of doing cool stuff with XML. So I slapped RSS Bandit together in about the first, really the very, very first version in about a weekend. It took me like maybe like a week to at least get the code cleaned up so it was a, a good code sample. And let's tell and everybody I, what it is, just for those who don't know. Well, RSS Bandit is, a, is an RSS reader. So you can you know, use it to subscribe to blogs, news sites, vi- video feeds, whatever, and read read all read them all in like a desktop app in, in one place. Okay. Hey, yeah. RSS is a big part of this show. Yeah, it certainly is. 
It's one of the, yeah, like you said, Richard, it's one of those things that, you know, it's goo and it's plumbing and sometimes hard to get excited about that. But um, lots of developers are. I know, in fact, one guy we know, Don Demsack, changed his last name to XML, you know, or, or his nickname is Don XML anyway. He's that excited about XML. It certainly has enabled a lot of real, real-world uh, technologies. Yeah, he was uh, one of the first crop of MVPs that I got to pick. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So what about system data? Is it just because the two are so intimately related that uh, it spilled over into system data, But you, or did you work on any ADO stuff? or? Oh, uh, I, I, we, the, team, the teams were merged because... Um, we can't, at Microsoft, we looked at the XML and relational data as uh, a pyramid of data access technologies. So th- we, we, we saw that developers kind of have this triad of data access technologies. They have XML, which is usually how they transfer the data. They have relational, which is how they store the data. And then they have objects, which is how they manipulate the data. So we got the XML and relational aspects all together, and we kept on trying to bridge the rocks triangle, we used to call it, so relational objects and XML. And there were there were people on our team who used to work on, um, it used to be called, it was called a lot of things, it was called X-Sharp, then C-Omega, and it eventually turned into Link. And Link is, and X-Link and D-Link are basically a manifestation of that vision of treating all of that as just one kind of data access stack. So Link started as X Sharp. Uh, I wondered what happened to X Sharp. <laughs> so a, a lot of a lot of the uh, well, that was a lot. A lot of the ideas in X Sharp eventually made their way into Link. I see, because Link does have a sort of an origin with Anders, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think yeah. So so X Sharp turned into um, C Omega, and then if you if you can go out and try like. I think there was actually a download for C Omega, and I wrote an article about C Omega that's on XML.com. Mm. I can see some of the early ideas they eventually made their way into Link. So, so really, it's suffice to say you're an XML guy. You don't really yeah. do the relational stuff or the data set stuff or anything no. like that. All right. So, um, since well, it's been a long time since System XML shipped. What have uh, what have you really been focusing on since? So uh, about two and a half, wow, it has been two and a half years, huh? About two and a half years ago, uh, I moved over to what was then MSN, the MSN platform, te- communication platform team. Right. I think we're now the Windows Live communication platform team. I don't know. The names change all the time. MSN replaced with Windows Live, basically. You Search and replace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I worked on the back end for Spaces, well, Windows Live Spaces, which is our blogging service. So I uh, designed web services, uh, kind of designed the data model, if you would, for a number of our features around um, access control, social networking. How's that Windows Live Spaces blog thing going? Is that uh, popular? So uh, according to Comscore, Windows Live Spaces is the most popular blogging site in the world. Wow. Now, is that just because every Microsoft employee has a mandatory account there? Is that why? <laughs> uh, no, no, actually, you don't. You, nobody has a mandatory I'm account I'm just there. kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> you could say it's because we have the widest reach. So yeah. 
people always kind of question that number. They go, well, it's not as popular as MySpace or Bebo. And that is true in, the, in those markets. It's not as pop, it's not as popular. Like, it's not right. you know, in number one in the U.S. But it's like number two or number three and in, in different markets like in South America, in Asia, and in Europe, which in aggregate makes it the most visited blogging service or social networking service in wow. the world. That is amazing. I would not have thought that. So how many people are we talking about here? Uh, so uh, the last Comscore numbers were 100 million people. Oh, my God. Jeez. Yeah, so much for our traction. Really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so it, it really is a sort of a MySpace kind of place, right? Where you set up a space. Yeah, you could call it that. Like overlapping feature sets. Because that's the popular one in the United States, so that's what we have. Yeah. Um, Windows Live Messenger, the the client as well as the back-end service, and there's also the communication services. Um, You know, every developer gets email from Microsoft, and you see this Windows Live communication services and stuff. But um, I never had it explained to me as to what it is. What, What is that? So the the Windows Live communication services are kind of I like to think of them as our like our social or communications applications at the platform that powers them. So this is uh, Hotmail, Messenger, Spaces. So all the the backends is to support people communicating with one another in Windows Live. Well, do you need to run that though? I mean, isn't that something that you guys run at Microsoft, or yeah, is it something that's that... all in the cloud? Oh, I see. So I I sort of had an idea like it's a server that you set up in your in your uh, company to do like privately controlled chatting in your enterprise or something like that. That's not what it is. No, that's not that's not Windows Live. We do have um uh live communication server, which I is I think uh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, live communication server is is an IM enterprise IM product that you can install in your enterprise and have IM within your enterprise. So the word server versus services is yes. what differentiates those two things. Yeah. Cool. And I imagine the server is, you know, you have encryption and all kinds of stuff that that uh, enterprises like private messaging and stuff. Logging. Logging. Stuff like that. Yeah. Big brother stuff. That's what enterprises like. They do, don't they? I'm so glad I work for myself, man. I just can't tell you that. Uh, so MSN Messenger, the the communication services. So the communication services is also behind Hotmail. Yeah. And that underwent a redesign recently, didn't it? Yes. I I didn't see it myself, but one of the RDs was commenting about how nice it looked. Did were, did you have a hand in that? Um, uh, not directly. No. Behind the scenes. Yes. In some of the services that the Hotmail team uses, so the services that power like the contacts and so on, I I worked on. But the stuff that people see, the people are mostly impressed by how the use of Ajax and how Outlook like it now is. And I had nothing to do with any of that. You know, I got to say that if I if I worked at Microsoft, I think I would like your job the most of any put anybody I've ever talked to because you're you're actually forming the structures and the services that that power all these really high profile and you know highly used services. I really like that idea. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of why I first got interested in XML because XML was kind of the a building block, a fundamental building block for data interchange and. I saw that everybody was going to be using XML, and you know, in a few short years, everybody at Microsoft was. I used to work with practically every team at Microsoft. Office does stuff with XML. SQL Server does stuff with XML. BizSoc does stuff with XML. Yeah. Visual Studio does stuff with XML. Everybody was doing things with XML. Right. And uh, you know, about two and a half years ago, I kind of now looked around and said, well, <clears throat> it seems that XML, the the, the the adoption curve was kind of over. It was now a maturing technology. And I was I started looking at, oh, what would I like to build? And I looked at RSS Bandit, and I liked building consumer software. Hmm. So then I looked within a company, like, where can I be at the core of building software that lots of consumers, people that people like me can use, my girlfriend, my mom, my sister. And I came over to, at the time, MSN. And I remember sitting down with my boss, and he said, well, you know, we're thinking about building a blogging service. It may have like social networking. What do you think? And I was like, wow, that sounds pretty awesome. And I came on the team. I got there just after Spaces got in beta and, you know, the growth has been phenomenal since then. Yeah. And I've been working on messengers, working with messenger team as well. And messenger is like the world's number one. I am client. Right. I think uh, 250 million active users. Now, uh, what exactly do you do in uh, Messenger? Right now, if you're if you're in Windows Live Messenger, you see, and one of your friends has a space, for example, mm-hmm. you you get a notification that there there's been something changed about them. Like them, um, they put up a message on their space or something. Yeah. Or? And you get a notification that something has changed about them, and when you click on it, you get you see this little window into what they've done in their space. Hmm. So uh, you know that feature set is called uh, Gleams and Contact Cards, and I was I wasn't there for the original the original design of the feature, but I've been working on that feature in over the past year. Wow! So it kind of it takes your IM client from being just a uh, a, a, a communication device for like uh, simultaneous synchronous communication and kind of turns it into like an aggregator of what your friends and people close to you are doing. Now you're working on the services that the client calls. You don't work on the actual client, right? No, I don't work on the actual client. I work on the services yeah. the client calls. That's correct. But I guess the challenge here is making sure you get the right data in the right place so that those clients have something to show. Uh, I mean, gleams are a very clever idea that you're able to see just enough to know there's something different. It, it's almost like uh, an enticement to go look. I'd like to mention that uh, this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET applications. And you can find them online at www.telerik. Com. Hey, Dare, you know, um, every once in a while, the Windows Messenger server goes down for a few seconds or or something, and, you know, it's just something that we've learned to live with. Can't log you in right now. Try back in five minutes. Can, what happens in that time? Does do some of that, uh, have you ever had a situation where, like, you know, somebody runs into your room and says, blah, 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 and you got to, like, go and edit an XML file somewhere before the world can get back to IMing? <laughs> outages well outages happen sometimes it's it's 
we we have you know like I said we have two hundred fifty eight million users, which is yeah a lot more users than anybody else in the world has. And Just a little pressure. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> arguably what one quarter of the total population of the internet has an MSN account. Yeah. Yes. And uses it actively. Yeah. Yep. So it's got to be a real, it must be a, a phenomenal engineering challenge to keep all of those. It's not one computer somewhere. That's a whole lot of machines trying to work in concert. So people people probably get really nervous when that happens, right? Well, yeah, and I guess the other thing is that, you know, you hear things like maybe somebody says, oh, we have an outage, or there's a, uh, somebody tripped over a cable, or a uh, uh, network switch is bad or something, and it affects half a percent of our users or something. Yeah. But with half a percent of 250 million, that's... Um, yeah, still over a million people. Yeah, that's still over a million people. Have you heard stories of, like, the phones ringing off the wall and, you know, <laughs> people, like, sending memos that are really angry and shit? I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Taking MSN pretty seriously. Okay, well, seriously. you don't want to really talk about that. That's okay. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what can you say? I mean, I would only... The only other thing I would throw in there is it's got to be a site that's hacked at all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just like yeah. a nonstop... The, the greatest exercise of, of security and, and reliability on the internet today is out there as one of the most extreme systems that, that exist. And, and let me just say that, you know, I know that it doesn't... Um, I, I know that, you, you you know, everybody probably gets really stressed out when that happens, but the reality is... You know, if if IM is down for five seconds, it's not the end of the world for anybody. I don't care who you are, you know. If it's down for a few seconds, it's really no big deal. You just so you wait a few minutes, it's really no big deal. <sighs> okay, next topic, Richard. <laughs> well and how, to, and how to bring an interview show to its knees. Oh, it's only <laughs> it's only MSN. It's not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, personally. I know we all use it every day, right? I mean, but if it's not like water. If a doctor's using it to talk to somebody in the field who's like giving brain surgery or something, then that's kind of important. But you know, I think that's more of an issue for the doctor. Why are you using I, I think, IM for that? I think you're right, Richard. I, you know, it's a chat program. Come on. I mean, a lot of our users don't feel that way, though. So they get really passionate about it. Well, you know, you'd imagine, you'd be surprised how passionate people get about the show. You know, it's a show, and we get sometimes we get uh, you know pretty emails, anxious emails, pretty anxious emails. Uh, web data team, there's got to be a lot of stories in there about um, things that you worked on in general. I think like one of the things I thought was uh, really cool was um, X Sharpen Link and C Omega. On the XML team, because I remember when I first got to the team, I guess like five, well, five years ago, um, it was interesting because we had this bunch of people who worked on the first generation of the product, and they were like, you know, we don't think we don't think we like a world where there's there's one set of APIs for accessing your your data on the wire, another set of APIs for converting it to for what they use to manipulate it in, in memory, and you know, yet another set of APIs when you want to store it. Yeah. So if you move to a world where you have it's just one consistent model, and instead of keep, uh, continually building, uh, let's build a new XML API, let's build a, an XML document, let's build an XPath navigator, you know, let's <clears throat> let's build a new DOM, 
right, let's build a new kind of data set or whatever. Why don't we just build one consistent interface that supports the operations you want to do, whether it's query, persistence, or whatever, and, you know, party on. Yeah. So, so I came in and actually was working on, so we had, so we had like people doing stuff kind of in parallel. So I was working on the .NET 2.0 and they were working on the X, the X sharp team at the time was working on like future stuff. So, so that's, the and there was kind of there was a bit of resentment on our side, like on people who were working on stuff, because we're like, hey, you know, like we're trying to ship, and you guys are working on crazy futuristic stuff. Yeah. And you know, they, we we'd have presentations, and we're like, you know, here's what we're working on for shipping stuff today, and they'd say we're working on this really cool, fantastic stuff, and maybe it'll be X sharp, maybe you know, we'll, maybe it'll be branded X sharp, hmm. and we're like, and you know, I think to myself, that's crazy because. We already have C Sharp and VB.net. People want people want people don't want yet another .NET language. Yeah, this is never gonna fly. I mean, I kind of like sure enough, like you know, X Sharp kind of morphed from something the product team was working on into something that we kind of pushed out to research in C Omega. And but then I started actually looking at looking at the language after like spending a whole bunch of time working on um, so working on XML schema. Uh, the, one of the biggest problems with XML sch- people have had with XML schema is that using schemas as a way to map to objects is a very is a very error prone activity and task because XML schema has all these rich concepts that don't really map very well to the concepts in your object oriented language. Hmm. Yeah. So I kind of had gotten burned with the at, with thinking that you know you can have totally different data types and data models and just kind of convert between them, then instead we should kind of, we should unify it. And, you know, I started looking at, looking at C Omega and it actually was a, it's, it was actually pretty brilliant stuff. And, you know, it was not only kind of unifying the models, it was things like, why don't we make querying a core part of the language, not something that when you want to do XML, you fire up something and shoot a string off, shoot an expat string off. When you want to do SQL, you fire something up and you shoot a SQL string off to some SQL interpreter. And when you want to loop over objects, you do a for loop. Why don't we just have like a select and all of that in the language and have and move those semantics up and have the whatever, if it's XML, it knows what to do with select and that's statically typed. And let's do some like, let's, and one of the problems we also had with XML, which is with XML schema was, XML by nature is like dynamic data, right? Like one of the cool things about markup language is that you can put any markup in, you can put any markup you want in there. And, you know, if the processor doesn't understand it, it skips it. Right. But the notion of like static typing where you know all your types up front and you error if you don't understand the types is actually in conflict with that. And that's something we kept we kept hitting up against, and it's, that's why I realized to the, the solution wasn't yeah. to try to figure out how to build static languages over XML, but it was for the languages to become more dynamic, like XML. Yeah, and that's kind of what like the the folks behind XSharp and C Omega, and eventually like you know they they kind of spread the virus, I like to call it, to like the folks like Anders, and they loved it, and now we have we have Link. So if I'm hearing you right, I mean. Were you one of many who had this realization, or or did you just sort of come into a meeting one day and say, hey, I've figured out that we need this, 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 and this, and they said, yeah, that's interesting, and then Link was there. Eric Meyer, who's, um, who's one of the key folks behind uh, C Omega uh, X-Sharp, and I guess sure. and works closely with folks on Link, 
mm-hmm. specifically, especially VB.net, VB9, I think they call it. Right. He and I used to talk all the time. So, like, you know, he didn't suck me with his ideas. I talked to him about, like, my experiences with XML scheme and so on. So it was kind of a cross-pollination. It de- I do get this vision of, like, wow. three paths the the C Omega, the X Sharp, and the Link guys all walking towards the same point and going, oh hey, we're kind of going to the same place, and then uh, a whole lot of uh, synthesis between those different ideas coming together, and they seem to have gone in different ways now again. Concurrent thinking, yeah, that that just sort of meets up in the middle. It's pretty interesting. Is that reasonable? Do you think is that about what happened? No, actually, so it was kind of an evolution. So X Sharp kind of uh, evolved, XDrop was what we built on the product team, right. and that kind of evolved into C Omega when it went into it went into the research di- di- division. Right. And then some of, the, some of the thinking from C Omega became Link. And also with other ideas that the C Sharp team also brought in as well. It wasn't like, just, you know, it wasn't a search and replace, C Omega became Link, but there were other ideas that the C Sharp team brought in, and that kind of informed the creation of Link. Now, did C Omega ever find its way outside uh, Redmond? Yes. Yeah, so there's a, I think there's a download available, and uh, I also, like I said, I also wrote an article about this, about it in uh, January of 2005 for XML.com called Introducing C Omega. So I've shrunk the link. It's at shrinkster.com slash M0F, Mike Zero Foxtrot. And that's a link to Microsoft Research and C Omega. And there's a description, some documentation, and a download if you want to take this out for a spin. Very good. Zen. That's what it was called. That's right. It was X Sharp, Zen, C Omega. Ah, okay. And, and now, and ultimately, some of that has influenced Link as well. Yes. Fascinating. And you can see there, there are a bunch of paper, a bunch of papers from Eric Meyer talking about unifying. There are links to papers on that page, unifying objects, tables, and documents, programming with rectangles, triangles, and circles, which was his play on objects, documents, and tables. Hmm. It's fascinating stuff. You know, the, the I remember years ago when XML was just sort of getting hit, people talking about replacing databases with XML. And as a database guy, I was pretty offended. Yeah. Well, you know, the kinds of databases that you work on and are, are, are huge. You can't, can't even imagine XML replacing that. Well, it does strike me that, that XML, I mean, XML is not relational. Am, am I right, Dare? No, yeah, no, it's not. And, um, no, like it's, in fact, it's, it's, it's not meant to be relational, which kind of, which, which was kind of difficult to, for a lot of relational people to grok because it's all about tree structures and hierarchies and you know like we had you know we had hierarchical databases back you know 20 25 years ago and they lost out to relational databases right that's that's what and that's what ultimately is a, is a meta model for storing like interlinked long persistent data it's not like but you know xml XML works for, you know, like singular documents that are like self-contained. Right. right. And and you do need querying tools for that kind of data too, and hence C sharp, C Omega. I mean, all this work has really been around treating that data effectively. Yes. Now are are you satisfied to the extent that uh, that C sharp and VBNet have become more dynamic, or do you feel that there's more work to do after Orcus. Well, I actually haven't tried uh, 
C sharp recent like real recent like well not the C sharp three previous real recently. I did like uh in fact I haven't really tried much since the C Omega compiler the compiler previews. I think C sharp is never gonna be truly dynamic. So uh, I've been doing because I, I work on like web stuff now. I've been doing like a lot of JavaScript development, and I've looked at, at JSON. Oh right. Yeah, and I think it's really cool that you can send some stuff over the wire and be like, you know, you know, foo dot, you know, foo dot name. If it has a name, if there's a name field there, there's a value there. If there's no name field there, it's null. You don't have to predefine anything. You just kind of do that, and it's like the. The language is just, you can just, you don't have to, you don't have to know what's coming on over the wire. You don't have to put data in straight jackets. And I think VB used to be like that. And I believe they'd want to go back in that direction with VB9. I don't think C Sharp, C Sharp is probably never going to be that dynamic because C Sharp developers like the fact that the language is statically typed. Right. So, uh, Eric, Eric Meyer has this quote. Um, yeah, that's my next question. You think VB is going to pick up the slack there and change, or, or, or are we looking at a, a Ruby for .NET eventually that's going to be the dynamic offering? What do you think? Well, I think there's there's room for a lot of these languages, right? because there, there already is a Python for .NET, which I should mm-hmm. start messing around with. Um, so I think that we should we should move a, away from trying to have just the one language and force it everything into that one language, and you know use use languages that are best suited for the job. Well, you know that most developers just program in one language. Yes, I mean that's the truth. And that's then that language starts to become a kitchen sink, and that's uh, the, in the Java world they're facing that problem today because you know uh, Java. Unlike I, I, unlike uh, C sharp developers, for some reason, like the, the Java developers, I guess are are up in arms about Java wanting to be to introduce like more functional features, uh, querying new keywords. They're, they're all up in arms. Yeah, because it's change and change is bad. So there must be a, a fundamental rift, I think, maybe between the people who sell you know development tools and languages and then the innovation that's going on, which you know, threatens to move people to different languages when, you know, clearly there's, uh, the the majority says, I want to do everything in the kitchen sink. That must be a very interesting dynamic at Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, it is. What, what is, um, what is actually surprising to me is that I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen as much, as much angst around the language being evolved in the, like in the .NET and C Sharp world as I have in, um, in the Java world, like yeah. I, in the Java world, it seems like people are like, you know, language has been around for wow, like ten years. We're done. We don't want to learn new stuff. Like we get new stuff. We've been getting new stuff for the past ten years. We want it to be like C or C plus plus. Well, they finally figured out, you know, they've swallowed the pills and learned all the stuff that you need to do to get Java to work, which is, you know, more analogous maybe to the C plus plus programmer who who comes through and learns all the the tricks and the little techniques that you do, and you program those little keystrokes into your pinkies and your ring fingers, and then, oh, my God, you got to learn all this new stuff. You know, we had this stickiness with Microsoft technology. I'm thinking VB6. You know, the number of people who were appalled at .NET and didn't want to leave. That's right. But I guess VB6 did... did have, was mature for a while. I, now I think about it, I think the difference with C-sharp is that 
C sharp is well. C sharp hasn't hasn't been around as long, and the second thing is that C sharp has evolved like with every kind of like new version. Like when we did C, with C sharp two o, like there was a bunch of new stuff added to language. So so C sharp developers are kind of being trained that in a big new release there'll be radical changes to the language. Like C sharp two o, there are, there are templates and and so on. Sorry, right. generics, not templates. Yeah. But with Java, for a while, there wasn't, like, anything radical being done for the language for, like, I think, like, the first, like, five, six years. I don't remember anything as radical as, like, the past, re- like, the Tiger release where they did a bunch of catching up to C-sharp with generics and for each and stuff like that. So I think that's what's, co- there's more shock there. And I guess the same with VB. You know, .NET Rocks would not even be possible today if it weren't for the great support of our first sponsor, Data Dynamics. And their product is the one that we really love, Active Reports for .NET. It's easy to use. It's powerful. You just create the reports. You put them right in your assemblies, and you ship them with your code. They have uh, HTML and PDF support. They've got an excellent access upsizing wizard so that you can get your access reports into Active Reports for .NET. Uh, Works with Windows Forms, works with ASP.NET. It's easy, and it just works. And best of all, it won't break the bank. And that's what we love about Data Dynamics. Data Dynamics has got a lot of other great tools, too. And you should check them out. Please check them out at datadynamics.com. Someday, Richard, we got to have Jay, my brother, on the show cause to talk about his experience with Java. He writes in a, in a text editor. He doesn't use any development tools. He does everything with Pojo, plain old Java objects. Which, I don't know, Dara, you seem to be a little more plugged into the Java community. You think more people in Java are doing things that way, all, you know, without relying on tools, or or is most of it being done with UI, that kind of stuff? Well, most of the developers I talk to use Eclipse, which, yeah. pretty cool, which supposedly is really cool. Yeah, Jay must be in the minority. Although, I've, I've also seen a bunch of Java developers who use, like, the old school tools, like Emacs and VI. I don't think I've ever met a C-Sharp developer who used... Any of those. Except for Donbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we only did this as a, we only ever did it as a gag just to show we could. That's true. I don't know. I, I kind of think Don likes Emacs. I think he might use that if he ever is going to write code. Uh, and Chris Anderson, too. Two of them are like two peas in a pod. Um, wow. So uh, getting back to your bio here that you, that you emailed me, uh, things to do if I become an evil overlord. Number 190? Why is that at the end of your... Or is that just your email tag? Oh, so... Um, so there's this list on the web, the evil overlord list. <laughs> and, I, and I found, like, when I was in college, and I thought it was really cool, because uh, it reminded me of... Um, what's that movie? The Princess Bride. Well, some of them right. are similar to the stuff in The Princess Bride. And I used to use that signature for a while. And then I remember about... And it's it's random. It's always changing. And it's stuff like, uh, what's the one I sent you? It says, if my mad scientist wizard tells me he has almost perfected my super weapon, but it still needs more testing, I will wait for him to complete the tests. No one ever conquered the world using a beta version. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, there's one that's like, if I'm dangling over a precipice and a hero reaches out, reaches his hand down to help me, I will not attempt to pull him down. Instead, I will help let him rescue me, thank him properly, and then shoot him. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are a gentleman, after all. <laughs> yeah. so, 
so so and I thought they were funny and I used I was using them in my sig when I first got here. I remember I think during my second year I had a manager, like my boss's boss show up and was like, Hey, you all you, you send a lot of mails to to partner companies and customers and so on. Don't you think it's kind of weird for a Microsoft person to have an evil no, overlord come on, get over it. a signature? Does that send the wrong signal? I was like, you're oh, a developer. for the evil empire, so that was appropriate. <laughs> Isn't that the goal? Yeah, come uh, on. So I, I actually have to take that out until I switch jobs. <laughs> and now, like, my current boss doesn't care. Right. He thinks it's funny. Well, you know, your current boss probably understands developers. Yeah. Let's uh, jump back to Windows Live for a sec and the Windows Live SDK. And this is pretty recent stuff, right? It, it, it hasn't been officially announced yet. Is it public? Yeah, so it, it is public, yes. What is it? So the Windows Live SDK is, um, if you go to dev.live.com, it has kind of links and information about the Windows Live SDK. But Windows Live SDK is primarily... A collection of web services that allow you to interact with uh, Windows Live services. Okay. And there's quite a few. Yes, quite a few. So, um, search, spaces, uh, alerts, ad center. It also lists some uh, vir vir virtual earth maps. It also lists some of our client, client SDKs as well. Like, so, you're able uh, to get into, uh, you're even able to get into Messenger. Yes. So what can you do with Messenger? So Messenger has um we call them activities. So um you can you can like you can initiate uh you can initiate a, a either like a game or video sharing or file sharing or whatever like in a side window with with with, a, with another person. So if you I think if you right click on somebody in Messenger today and and select start an activity, it actually takes you to a drop down of a whole bunch of photo swap search and a bunch of games. What you can do whiteboarding, you can do application sharing. So the add in SDK allows people to actually build these applications. Wow. Uh, how do you distribute them? Oh like you just distribute them as you you would any like regular application. So for us to play a game I have to install your add in. Yes. But then, uh, then we're able to, to share that. There's no real automated distribution mechanism. No, there's no way like I can push executables to you because that that would be problematic. Well, it's, and it, these aren't really executables anyway, right? They're running off of Messenger, and and uh, according to notes I'm looking at here, they're using code access security to kind of keep it in inside of a sandbox. Hmm. If Messenger was a .NET app, yeah, this is all .NET based. But Messenger isn't .NET based. The dot Messenger itself is an IC. That's ah. part of the problem. So, uh, any plans for that? There must be an army of people pushing for that inside Microsoft. For Messenger .NET based, or or, for the, or even or just a, a .NET based Messenger. Yeah, I think people have people have talked about it. Uh, I know that Yahoo just recently did a, a .NET three version of their IM client. So cool. It it seems like an interesting direction. I've heard, I've heard people talk about it. The other one that, that really interests me is Windows Live ID, which Microsoft flatly admits, this is Passport Reborn. Well, wait a minute. How does that work with OpenID? Or does it? So uh, there's like there's the uh, identity metasystem that uh, Kim Cameron's been working on, and it, it allows you to specify 
like different authentications, like different services, identity service providers, I think it's called. Yes, it's, it is identity service providers. So you can say, right. uh, this side can say, I accept passport credentials or open ID credentials or Yahoo credentials or Google Auth credentials, right? Okay. So whoever is actually the, whoever requires the identity just says, here are the identity providers that I respect. Okay. And so, like live ID, the live ID service could be one, and an open ID could be another. An info card is one as well. Yes. All right. It's cool. That I mean, makes it sense. Is integrated, right? Pick your methodology; it'll all they'll all work. Yes. Well, that's always been the Microsoft way: never force one over another. Let them let them fight it out and see see which one floats to the top, or maybe nothing will float to the top. Maybe they'll all be used. And the Virtual Earth SDK? So is that really, this is our mashup to uh, be able to build our own uh, geocentric apps online? Yes, that's correct. Okay, whoa. Tell me about this. This sounds interesting. What can I do with this? So you can, you can, you can, create, a ma- you can create a mapping mashup. You can, uh, you can build... Uh, you've seen the various Google Maps mashups? Is that correct? Right? Oh, yeah. Have you seen those? So you can build mashups just like that, and you get like the advanced virtual earth features in the mashup as well. I haven't seen this. So like bird's eye view and so on, like you, you, you get that as well. I haven't seen this, so tell, tell me what I've been missing here. Similar to what you can do with, with uh, Google Maps. Okay. You can include scripts on your page, uh, instantiate the virtual earth map control, and build whatever mashup you want on top of virtual earth. A mashup meaning you can add your own stuff coordinate-based over the maps yes. that are there. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm always wowed at just how snappy uh, maps.live.com is. You know, it, it's got a great interface on it. Just use your roller wheel on your mouse and drag around, and you're, and you're moving and, and shaking on the map really quickly. So I I think that having a programming interface of this is pretty compelling. It, it makes for a great app. So if if this was around last year, they could have used this in uh, for the road trip. In fact, I think Dr. Neil used a beta version of this for uh, the road trip uh, live map that we did to show where our where our RV was as we drove across the country in real time. Yeah. Well, and and that was you know more over a year ago now. It was. Well. I actually created a mashup with using Virtual Earth showing where movies were playing in the Seattle area. Oh, cool. So I will send that to you guys to check out so you can see like the kind of mashups you could build. This is, again, like something I kind of threw, threw together just to see how easy it was, and it actually wasn't that hard. Cool, and you'll include the source for that? Yes. Did I write an article about this? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to that on the website. Absolutely. Thanks for that. All right. Let's go after one more. And this is an interesting discussion in general uh, for guys like us who are heavily web-centric business-wise, and it's the Ad Centers API. Huh. So, I mean, this is a competitor to Google Ads? Yes. Sweet. But hold on. Wait a second. Let me let me let me mark it. So, because Google has two ad products, they have well, they have a bunch of That's two right. web ad products: AdWords they have and AdSense. AdSense and AdWords. Right. So, AdWords are for buying ads on the Google in the, in Google search results, and AdSense is for placing ads in other people's sites. Content, right? 
So we, we currently don't have an offering, although I think we've talked about doing one for placing ads on other sites. Okay. So our, our current offering is you can buy ads to show in like live, live search results. I see. So what does the Ad Center API do then? So the Ad Center API allows you to manage your ad campaign. Oh, I get it. So being able to build your own client to be able to buy ad space on in uh, Windows Live Search efficiently, quickly, you know, whatever style you want to do it in, or just to like just to keep on top of your like manage your keywords, generate reports, do uh, estimates, like figure out how much buying this keyword is going to cost you. If you right. want to do better visualization of the data than what's on the website. And you can build something a little more real time as as time goes by, and those things are going to change. Yes, that's very cool. Very cool. All right, and the one I don't understand at all: Windows Live Expo. What is this? Sounds like Second Life. <laughs> <laughs> is it like classifieds? Is this eBay? So it's classifieds. Um, I would say it's probably more like Craigslist than eBay. Okay. Huh. So it's like a free classified listing service. It kind of um, the it's supposed to draw into the fact that you have. Uh, I remember when we were first talking about building Expo. Uh, one thing what, what when the Expo team talked about was that um, a lot a lot of people may not sell stuff to strangers, but you've kind of almost everyone has sold something to a friend once. Even with like a CD you didn't like, a copy you didn't get rid of, and you were like, "Well, I can make twenty bucks from a friend." And so on. So, what if we have we have 250 million users in in Messenger, like over 100 million people visiting Spaces? What if we allow these people to, you know, we facilitate like interpersonal communication within your social network? Right. And that's what Expo that's what Expo enables. Is this sort? Of, you know, we've been using LinkedIn. Is it sort of like that? Have you seen LinkedIn.com? Yeah, I've seen LinkedIn.com. So the LinkedIn kind of has. Have a, a separate a social networking a- aspect. Uh, That's Expo what it is. Yeah, is more of like a listing. So think of it like as um, what would be a good analogy? Imagine if like Craigslist was integrated into Messenger. Okay. Yeah, something like that. So a um, a series of links that you want to expose to your friends. Yes, and okay. then you, there's also like a, there's a website aspect. You can go on the website. You know, like comments. Contact you to purchase it. I am you. You can show you can you can show your the things you have for sale on your space. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, utilization of of live dot com is it growing? Is it up? What's uh, what are the numbers like? Oh, so I don't work directly with the live dot com team, so I okay. I know like a lot of people like it, but I I don't know what the last numbers were. Oh, all right, you get a sense that it's very popular though. Yeah. It's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the SDK hasn't had literally a loud launch yet, right? It's just been sort of quietly launched. What was your involvement in, in actually putting all this together? Because i got to imagine there's a lot of XML involved in all of this. I kind of worked on the, the Spaces APIs. So I was like, I, I was... Uh, I was charged with figuring out what the API story for Spaces was going to be, and I kind of looked at doing SOAP API uh, and, so, and REST APIs and so on, and eventually we picked the Meta Weblog API because that's what most blogging services use. Mm. So I kind of was the PM for that feature, and 
I wrote all the documentation about the, about that. Uh, I also just kind of was involved in the team that was coming up with the SDK and messaging and so on around it. Huh. You'll hear, you, you'll, you'll hear more about it eventually, like in upcoming conferences, because stuff's coming up. So there's going to be a loud, is there going to be a loud launch, or are we just going to start talking about this in the shows? Uh, the, um, Mix is coming up, and PDC is coming up. There'll right. Be, mm-hmm. there'll, be, there'll be more talking about it at, at events like that. So right now, we've just kind of thrown this out, out there to get feedback from developers, about what they like, what they don't like, what they'd like to see. Have you been involved in that? Indirectly, but not directly. Okay, cool. Uh, Dare, you're a, a Microsofty, and yet your uh, post, your, you, you know, RSS Bandit is an open source thing. Um, is RSS Bandit something that you're doing just as you, or is this um, an official, officially sanctioned Microsoft product, or you know, what's the dynamic between Microsoft and open source and RSS Bandit? So RSS Bandit is a, a project that I, I just work on on my own on the side. Uh, you know, like Microsoft is aware of it because I think like my playing agreement says that any intellectual property I create belongs to Microsoft, yada, yada, yada. So right, right, of course. It, yeah. yeah. So it, it started off, it kind of started off organically because I created a code sample and uh, this guy, Torsten, in Germany said, hey, this is actually a pretty cool idea, but your GUI sucks. <laughs> what if I what if I build all the GUI stuff and you deal with like the XML and networking and we can just like keep working on the app? Cool. And it kind of grew organically out of that. You know, a couple thousand people started using that using the application. It used, it used to be hosted on uh, got .net, but eventually, like the the project got busy enough that I took I took it over to SourceForge, and uh, I've. I've never gotten any negative feedback from like management or anybody at Microsoft about it. Like a lot of Microsoft people actually use it. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And and of course, Microsoft's released some stuff into SourceForge as well. Although, Wix, Wix is on right, SourceForge, I right. believe. Yeah. But uh, I, I, you've described the classic open source scenario where you're just throwing out a code sample. Somebody says, this is pretty cool. I want to contribute to it, you know, because your UI sucks. And boom, you've got yourself an open source project. Two developers who uh, are in separate places, each contributing different bits to the same project. Yeah, we we have done similar things here. But, you know, the thing is, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard some blue badges say that Microsoft really is an anti-open source. They're anti-GPL. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Um... I wouldn't say anti. Like the GPL, because my my project isn't uh, Arsys Band isn't GPL licensed. It's uh, BSD licensed. Right. Uh, the GPL puts like re- puts restriction on how restrictions on how people can can share it, distribute the code that I personally think are unfair. Like because yeah. Arsys Bandit, if you grasp on the code and you have like some some app and you want to. And it's, a, it's an app that's not open source. You can grab my code and do whatever you want with it. As long as you say, hey, I, we got some code from RSS Bandit, that's fine. Right. And because to credit where credit is due. Yeah, it's just about credit, and we're just it's about sharing the code. It's not about forcing my philosophies on you, which is what right. the GPL does. It says, right. you know, if you, want to use, if you want to use my code, you have to be open source like me. And, right. You know, I just want people to use the application. I, and I wrote it as a code sample so that people... I first started as a code sample so people could learn how to use .NET, and now there's like, you know, there's all, sort, there's all sorts of stuff I've learned about, you know, like writing a Windows, Windows application beyond just things about doing stuff with XML or networking, 
uh, things things about interacting with IE. How long security. did it take you to figure out the licensing part of it? And what was involved in that? Is it like you read a document, you include it with the software? Do you have to sign something and send it in? I mean, what what all is involved with that? So it, it really depends on how rigorous you want to be about stuff like that. For example, I believe like the the Apache project, for example, requires like anybody who sends in like a code sample or a patch has to sign some documentation saying, you know, like I officially hand over my copyright to Apache Foundation or, free, or if it's like the Free Software Foundation. Right. Um, but you are talking about Apache in that circumstance. It's a huge app. Yeah. So so like that that's that's kind of the official process with, with Arsene's band, like Torsten and I just kind of talked about it. We're familiar with, you know, the, the, the key open source licenses, GPL, BSDL, whatever. And we, we, we didn't feel, we didn't feel that we had, we had to push people to give away to like to go open source or use Arsene's bandit. Like I felt like if somebody uses my code in their app and they say like, wow, we use your code and we have like all these users, that's, that was the point of giving away the code in the first place. Yeah, the whole reason you did this was to make sure people did it right. So yeah. what I, what I want to know, though, is like what all is involved in publishing some software with a BSDL license? What, what exactly, what are the mechanics of what you have to do? Oh, so you have to, you have to, get, you have to get a copy of the license. You have to make sure that everybody who has copyright in the code agrees to the license, and you have to like, list the copyright holders. Uh, you also have to distribute the license with the code, which I w- actually wasn't doing for a while. Okay. So, um, it's, so if you went to SourceForge, you would say that this code is BSD licensed, but when you got the code, there was no license in there. But there's no central place that you, you have to fill out a form and fax it and sign it and get approval, and there's no, no, no official process like that. No. All right, so but, you release it on a, you obviously read the license, you understand what you're getting into, you uh, have to, when somebody installs the program, they have to agree to the terms of the license, right? Or you distribute the license with the code. Or you distribute the license with the code. Okay. Yeah, so like, for example, there was, um, I've actually had a bunch of corporate users of RSS band, which is also like a, w- a weird surprise. Like, like, sysadmins were like, hey, in our, like, in our, you know, 100 man company, we actually, RSS band is part of our install. Like, we install Windows wow. with Office and RSS Bandit. And we realized that you don't have a license. And that, like, violates our corporate, like, purchasing policy or something. Which was so I've had to deal with stuff like that, and then make sure that we have the license, and it clearly spells out like you know here are the copyright holders, here's who you contact, you know we use some code from this guy, but his license his license is fine, um, allows that. So here's who because we use some of them. Chriselle's has a Genghis the Genghis yeah. project. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we use some of his code, and that's kind of like called out. Yeah, it's got to be pretty awesome to hear reports of people, you know, rolling that into their system installs. So, uh, well, okay, we've come to about the end of the show, and uh, I just got a feeling that, Dare, I think uh, we should ask him, Richard, uh, uh, the question. Sometimes Absolutely. we ask it, but he seems like the kind of guy who, who has some things to share. Dare, uh, what's the coolest thing that you've seen online lately? Maybe you've downloaded something or... Or maybe you got a new toy or a new gadget or just something that's new that uh, not a lot of people know about that you want to give some props to. Uh, I don't know if it's new. Like the coolest thing I've seen on the net is twenty uh, Q dot net. What? Like two zero Q dot net. It's a. It's like it plays twenty questions with you. 
Oh, and, it tries to guess what you're thinking of? And it's pretty scary. Like, that's how, like, it, it, it freaked me out when I, I tried it. <laughs> 22.net. So, yeah, 20Q, the letter Q. So, so three letters. My daughter has one of these little plastic devices that does this, and it's pretty scary, too. Yeah, so, like, I, I went online and I, like, I picked some, I picked, oh, I know, I was thinking of a guitar, and, you know, asking, like, some random questions, like, Right. Like question 16 is like, you're thinking of a guitar. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like, it criticizes some of your answers. It's like, <laughs> I asked you if it has strings, and you said no, but a guitar does. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that's, that's probably the coolest thing I've seen online in the past couple of months. That is cool. That is spectacular, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Dare, thank you very much for being on the show. Our guest has been uh, Dare Obasanjo. And uh, program manager on the Windows Live team, Windows Live communication services team. Thank you, Dare. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. And we'll see you next week on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.